Chapter six of the Amethyst Box by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter six. Dorothy speaks. I shall not subject you to the ordeal from which I suffered. You shall follow my three friends into the room. According to Sinclair's description, the interview proceeded thus. As soon as the door had closed upon them, and before either of the girls had a chance to speak, he remarked to Gilbertine, "'I have brought you here because I wish to express to you, in the presence of your cousin, my sympathy for the bereavement which in an instant has robbed you both of a lifelong guardian. I also wish to say, in the light of this sad event, that I am ready, if propriety so exacts, to postpone the ceremony which I hoped would unite our lives to-day. Your wish shall be my wish, Gilbertine, though I would suggest that possibly you never more needed the sympathy and protection which only a husband can give than you do to-day. He told me afterward that he was so taken up with the effect of this suggestion on Gilbertine that he forgot to look at Dorothy, though the hint he strove to convey of impending trouble was meant as much for her as for his affianced bride. In another moment he regretted this, especially when he saw that Dorothy had changed her attitude and was now looking away from them both. "'What do you say, Gilbertine?' he asked earnestly, as she sat flushing and paling before him. "'Nothing. I have not thought. It is a question for others to decide, others who know what is right better than I. I appreciate your consideration,' she suddenly burst out, "'and should be glad to tell you at this moment what to expect, but give me a little time. Let me see you later.' in the morning mr sinclair after we are all somewhat rested and when i can see you quite alone dorothy rose shall i go she asked sinclair advanced and with quiet protest touched her on the shoulder quietly she sank back into her seat i want to say a half dozen words to you miss camerden gilbertine will pardon us it is about matters which must be settled to-night there are decisions to arrive at and arrangements to be made mrs armstrong has instructed me to question you in regard to these as the one best acquainted with mrs lansing's affairs and general tastes we will not trouble gilbertine she has her own decisions to reach dear will you let me make you comfortable in the conservatory while i talk for five minutes with dorothy he said that she met this question with a look so blank and uncomprehending that he just lifted her and carried her in among the palms. "'I must speak to Dorothy,' he pleaded, placing her in the chair where he had often seen her sit of her own accord. "'Be a good girl. I will not keep you here long.' "'But why cannot I go to my room? I do not understand. I am frightened.' what have you to say to dorothy that you cannot say to me she seemed so excited that for a minute just a minute he faltered in his purpose then he took her gravely by the hand i have told you said he then he kissed her softly on the forehead be quiet dear and rest see here are roses 
he plucked and flung a handful into her lap then he crossed back to the library and shut the conservatory door behind him i was not surprised that gilbertine wondered at her peremptory bridegroom when sinclair re-entered the library he found dorothy standing with her hand on the knob of the door leading into the hall her head was bent and thoughtful as though she were inwardly debating whether to stand her ground or fly sinclair gave her no further opportunity for hesitation advancing rapidly he laid his hand quietly on hers and with a gravity which must have impressed her quietly remarked i must ask you to stay and hear what i have to say i wished to spare gilbertine would that i could spare you but circumstances forbid you know and i know that your aunt did not die of apoplexy she gave a violent start and her lips parted if the hand under his clasp had been cold it was now icy he let his own slip from the contact you know she echoed trembling and pallid her released hand flying instinctively to her hair yes you do not need to feel about for the little box i took it from its hiding-place when i laid you fainting on the bed here it is he drew it from his pocket and showed it to her she hardly glanced at it her eyes were fixed in terror on his face and her lips seemed to be trying in vain to formulate some inquiry he tried to be merciful i missed it many hours ago from the shelf yonder where you all saw me place it had i known that you had taken it i would have repeated to you how deadly were the contents and how dangerous it was to handle the vial or to let others handle it much less to put it to the lips she started and instinctively her form rose to its full height have you looked in that little box since you took it from my hair she asked yes then you know it to be empty for answer he pressed the spring and the little lid flew open it is not empty now you see then more slowly and with infinite meaning but the little flask is she brought her hands together and faced him with a noble dignity which at once put the interview on a different footing where was this vial found she demanded he found it difficult to answer they seemed to have exchanged positions when he did speak it was in a low tone and with less confidence than he had shown before in the bed with the old lady i saw it there myself mr worthington was with me nobody else knows anything about it i wished to give you an opportunity to explain i begin to think you can but how god only knows the box was hidden in your hair from early evening i saw your hand continually fluttering toward it all the time we were dancing in the parlour she did not lose a iota of her dignity or pride you are right she said i put it there as soon as i took it from the cabinet i could think of no safer hiding place yes i took it she acknowledged as she saw the flush rise to his cheek i took it but with no worse motive than the dishonest one of having for my own an object which bewitched me i was hardly myself when i snatched it from the shelf and thrust it into my hair he stared at her in amazement her confession and her attitude so completely contradicted each other 
but i had nothing to do with the vial she went on and with this declaration her whole manner even her voice changed as if with the utterance of these few words she had satisfied some inner demand of self-respect and could now enter into the sufferings of those about her this i think right to make plain to you i supposed the vial to be in the box when i took it but when i got to my room and had an opportunity to examine the deadly trinket i found it empty just as you found it when you took it from my hair some one had taken the vial out before my hand had ever touched the box like a man who feels himself suddenly seized by the throat yet who struggles for the life slowly but inexorably leaving him sinclair cast one heart-rending look toward the conservatory then heavily demanded why were you out of your room why did they have to look for you and who was the person who uttered that scream she confronted him sadly but with an earnestness he could not but respect i was not in the room because i was troubled by my discovery i think i had some idea of returning the box to the shelf from which i had taken it at all events i found myself on the little staircase in the rear when that cry rang through the house i do not know who uttered it i only know that it did not spring from my lips in a rush of renewed hope he seized her by the hand it was your aunt he whispered it was she who took the vial out of the box who put it to her own lips who shrieked when she felt her vitals gripped had you stayed you would have known this can't you say so don't you think so why do you look at me with those incredulous eyes because you must not believe a lie because you are too good a man to be sacrificed it was a younger throat than my aunt's which gave utterance to that shriek mr sinclair be advised do not be married to-morrow meanwhile i was pacing the hall without in a delirium of suspense i tried hard to keep within the bounds of silence i had turned for the fiftieth time to face that library door when suddenly i heard a hoarse cry break from within and saw the door fly open and dorothy come hurrying out she shrank when she saw me but seemed grateful that i did not attempt to stop her and soon was up the stairs and out of sight i rushed at once into the library i found sinclair sitting before a table with his head buried in his hands in an instant i knew that our positions were again reversed and without stopping to give heed to my own sensations i approached him as near as i dared and laid my hand on his shoulder he shuddered but did not look up and it was minutes before he spoke then it all came in a rush fool fool that i was and i saw that she was consumed by fright the moment it became plain that i was intent upon having some conversation with dorothy her fingers where they gripped my arm must have left marks behind them but i saw only womanly nervousness where a man less blind would have detected guilt walter i wish the mere scent of this empty flask would kill then i should not have to re-enter that conservatory door or look again in her face or he had taken out the cursed jewel and was fingering it in a nervous way which went to my heart of hearts gently removing it from his hand i asked with all the calmness possible why is all this mystery 
why have your suspicions returned to gilbertine i thought you had entirely dissociated her with this matter and that you blamed dorothy and dorothy only for the amethyst's loss dorothy had the empty box but the vial the vial that had been taken by a previous hand do you remember the white silk train which mr armstrong saw slipping from this room i cannot talk walter my duty leads me there he pointed toward the conservatory i drew back and asked if i should take up my watch again outside the door he shook his head it makes no difference nothing makes any difference but if you want to please me stay here i at once sank into a chair he made a great effort and advanced to the conservatory door i studiously looked another way my heart was breaking with sympathy for him but in another instant i was on my feet i could hear him rushing about among the palms presently i heard his voice shout out the wild cry she's gone i forgot there was another door communicating with the hall i crossed the floor and entered where he stood gazing down at an empty seat and a trail of scattered roses never shall i forget his face the dimness of the spot could not hide his deep unspeakable emotions to him this flight bore but one interpretation guilt i did not advocate sinclair's pressing the matter further that night i saw that he was exhausted and that any further movement would tax him beyond his strength we therefore separated immediately after leaving the library and i found my way to my own room alone it may seem callous in me but i fell asleep very soon after and did not wake till roused by a knock at my door on opening it i confronted sinclair looking haggard and unkempt as he entered the first clear notes of the breakfast bell could be heard rising up from the lower hall i have not slept he said i have been walking the hall all night listening by spells at her door and at other times giving what counsel i could to the armstrongs god forgive me but i have said nothing to any one of what has made this affair an awful tragedy to me do you think i did wrong i waited to give dorothy a chance why should i not show the same consideration to gilbertine you should but her eyes did not meet and neither voice expressed the least hope i shall not go to breakfast he now declared i have written this line to gilbertine will you see that she gets it for reply i held out my hand he placed the note in it and i was touched to see that it was unsealed be sure when you give it to her that she will have an opportunity of reading it alone i shall request the use of one of the little reception rooms this morning let her come there if she is so impelled she will find a friend as well as a judge i endeavoured to express sympathy urge patience and suggest hope but he had no ear for words though he tried to listen poor fellow so i soon stopped and he presently left the room i immediately made myself as presentable as a night of unprecedented emotion would allow and went below to do him such service as opportunity offered and the exigencies of the case permitted i found the lower hall alive with eager guests and a few outsiders 
news of the sad event was slowly making its way through the avenue and some of the armstrongs nearest neighbours had left their breakfast tables to express their interest and to hear the particulars among these stood the lady of the house but mr armstrong was nowhere within sight for him the breakfast waited not wishing to be caught in any little swirl of conventional comment i remained near the staircase waiting for some one to descend who could give me news concerning miss murray for i had small expectation of her braving the eyes of these strangers and doubted if even dorothy would be seen at the breakfast-table but a little miss lane if small was gifted with a great appetite she would be sure to appear prior to the last summons and as we were good friends she would listen to my questions and give me the answer i needed for the carrying out of sinclair's wishes but before her light footfall was heard descending i was lured from my plans by an unexpected series of events three men came down one after the other followed by mr armstrong looking even more grave and ponderous than usual two of them were the physicians who had been called in the night and whom i had myself seen depart somewhere near three o'clock the third i did not know but he looked like a doctor also why were they here again so early had anything new come to light it was a question which seemed to strike others as well as myself as mr armstrong ushered them down the hall and out of the front door many were the curious glances which followed them and it was with difficulty that the courteous host on his return escaped the questions and detaining hands of some of his more inquisitive guests a pleasant word an amiable smile he had for all but i was quite certain when i saw him disappear into the little room he retained for his own use that he had told them nothing which could in any way relieve their curiosity this filled me with a vague alarm something must have occurred something which sinclair ought to know i felt a great anxiety and was closely watching the door behind which mr armstrong had vanished when it suddenly opened and i perceived that he had been writing a telegram as he gave it to one of the servants he made a gesture to the man standing with extended hand by the chinese gong and the summons rang out for breakfast instantly the hum of voices ceased and young and old turned toward the dining-room but the host did not enter with them before the younger and more active of his guests could reach his side he had slid into the room which i have before described as set apart for the display of gilbertine's wedding presents instantly i lost all inclination for breakfast and lingered about in the hall until every one had passed me even little miss lane who had come down unperceived while i was watching mr armstrong's door not very well pleased with myself for having missed the one opportunity which might have been of service to me i was asking myself whether i should follow her and make the best attempt i could at sociability if not eating when mr armstrong approached from the side hall and accosting me inquired if mr sinclair had come down yet i assured him that i had not seen him and did not think he meant to come to breakfast adding that he had been very much affected by the affairs of the night and had told me that he was going to shut himself up in his room and rest i am sorry but there is a question i must ask him immediately 
it is about a little italian trinket which i am told he displayed to the ladies yesterday afternoon End of chapter 6